You, 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 know what I, you know what I mean? How's your walk? I see a lot of people like, mm-hmm, yeah, that's right. You guys are the people that grew up in church. Because if I ask my friend Russ, who doesn't want anything to do with Jesus, how his walk, he'll, he'll think, you mean when I took my grandbabies around the block? Or if I ask my friend Patrick, who also is not a church person, how's your walk? He'll think I'm talking about his hip because he's had a bad hip for a while. Right? Or my friend Shane, who also doesn't follow Jesus, he just moved to the west side. If I asked him how his walk was, he'd, he'd think, well, around the block in my new area, right? But if, if I ask you guys, how's your walk, you know what I'm talking about. Yes? Okay, let's pray. <laughs> Lord, thank you that we, we can, that you give us the joy of the Lord. And I thank you that that can ooze out of us. I thank you that we can worship you in so many different ways. And I thank you for the gifts and talents you put in this church. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would use those well. Uh, over these next uh, the few minutes or longer, I pray that you would help us hear what you want us to hear. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Christy primed the pump really well. Uh, she said, I'm going to preach long, so I'm going to preach long. All right, if you have a Bible and you want to get it out, go ahead and get it out and turn to the book, the letter that Jesus' half-brother James wrote. You can turn to James chapter 4 if you don't want to turn there. In uh, this little thing right here, it's got the verse that I'm going to have on here, but if you want to hold your paper copy, that is fantastic. So we're in week three of a four-week sermon series looking at the new vision that God has given us. Now, without it being up on the screen yet, can anybody tell me, and if they were listening at all to Tim, you might be able to, what the new vision is. Sweet, we're going to do another four-week series after this, and I don't have to prep another message for another four weeks. This is great. The new series, the new vision that God has given us is this, okay? Read it with me. Walking with others as we walk with Christ, all right? Walking with others as we walk with Christ. So far, we've looked at the idea of walking, the necessity of slowing down, both physically and emotionally and spiritually, and how by doing that, it allows us the time to pay attention, the time to notice. And we think God wants us to slow down. Now, we're walking with others. Others was last week, the with others, and we laid out the, the fact that our others were anybody that God puts in our path, anybody that God allows us to engage with. Uh, and, our, and our call is to one another the others. Remember that? I know, it was a long time ago. It's like a week. Uh, today, we go from walking with others to the as we walk part. As we walk. That's why I ask you, how's your walk? Now, it should go without saying, but I'm going to say it anyways. Once we begin our journey with Jesus, once we begin our relationship with Jesus, we need to grow in that relationship. Somebody can say amen to that. Amen. Amen. We need to be purposeful in our relationship. If not, it's like somebody who plants a garden in the spring and then never tends it, never waters it never weeds it, and then they expect this ripe harvest in the fall. It's just not going to happen, will it? No, so we need to make sure that we are paying attention to our walk with Jesus. So when I ask you, how's your walk, if you don't know, I'm talking about your relationship with Jesus. It'd be the same way as if I said, hey, Chrissy, how's your relationship with Tim? She could tell me how it is. 
She could tell me some of the things they've been doing together, some of the things they've been talking about, some of the ways that they have enjoyed life together. When I ask you, how's your walk? I want to know how that is with you and Jesus. Now, Jesus' half-brother James did not always follow him, if you want to use that language. In fact, early on in the Gospel of Mark, we see that James was probably part of this family intervention a couple of times where the family came and said, Jesus, we need you to be quiet. We need you to come home. You're crazy, right? Mark chapter 3, verse 21, if you, I mean, it's in there. All right, we see him part of that. Uh, but then something happens when Jesus dies and is resurrected, and James starts to follow Jesus. He becomes a, a pillar in the church, um, and he writes this letter, which covers a lot of different topics, but the front half of one sentence towards the end of this letter is really what, what, what will shape this message today, this, this walking with. James writes this in James chapter 4, verse 8, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Let's read that together. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I'm going to pronounce that, that word on the bottom in just a second. See, this is a purposeful coming close to God. That's what the New Living Translation it says. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Now, I grew up in a, in a Christian home. I was a missionary kid, so I was in church every Sunday. Most of the time, I was sleeping on the front row. It's fine. God gives rest to those he loves. Um, that's Psalm 127 too, if you don't know, it's in there. Okay? Um, I grew up thinking that this verse meant, it was like an if-then. If I do my devotions early in the morning, and if I obey God's commands, and if I pray in the morning and in the evening, and especially before meals, if I do all those things, I will be drawn close to God, and then God will draw close to me. See, it was an if then my efforts were a direct relation to, to how close God would draw to me. Anybody ever read that verse like this before? Go ahead, show of hands. Um, yeah, we're, we're wrong, okay? If our hands are up, which mine is, we are wrong. And here's why. The Greek word for to draw near is that little squiggly thing under there. It's engidso, and it's used 14 times in the New Testament. It means to approach. It means to come close. It means immediately imminent and extremely close and to bring near. But it's in the Greek perfect tense. Now, if you don't know what that means, that's thrilling, okay? This is exciting. Yeah! We're going to come back to this, all right? It's in the Greek perfect tense, which means it's already happened. So if you read that, you read that again, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He has already drawn near to you. He's already imminently close to you. This isn't an if you pray before breakfast, but if you forget, then he's going to step away, right? No, he is already next to you, which just makes that, that, that verse read completely different. It's like, as I draw near to God... Because he has already drawn near to me. Now, if this is your mic drop moment, go ahead and leave, because I'm going to go for another half hour. If that's all you need to hear today, that's fine, because that was for me, that was my moment when prepping this message. It is not an if 
I behave, then God is going to draw close to me, right? We, we're always quoted those verses about, well, God turns his face away from sin. Yeah, well, what if that's God actually dropping his face because he, he sees the, the, the effect sin has on you? Not turning away, but the effect it has on you and the pain, right? Oh, if that's God calling, this would be cool. <laughs> no? Now, we're, all, we're all thinking about it now. Go ahead and grab it. Yeah. To my friends online, if you can't hear, we got a phone ringing. It's okay. <laughs> the Greek perfect text, it's already happened. That's powerful. So our call is to, as we walk, meaning as we take purposeful steps, it's because God is already there. All right, this is, just, this is mind-blowing to me. Read it again with me. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. As we are drawing near to God, it's because he has already drawn near to us. He is present, close, near, adjoining, adjacent. He is walking with us. Now, the question comes is, how in the world is that even possible, right? Because God's just this omniscient, powerful, perfect, blemishless being, and we are not that. Amen. Oh, that's the second amen, and I had to ask for both of them, okay? We are not that. So is it even possible for us to walk with God? Well, the answer is yes. Absolutely yes. The author of Hebrews, which is the book, it's right before, right after. It's, it's right next to James in the Bible. Five different times, the authors, actually six different times, seven different times, I think it is, the author talks about drawing near to God and he, he says you can do that because of Jesus. I won't read all seven times, just, just one of them. Hebrews 10, verse 19, or 21 and 22. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God. That's let us and get so. Let us draw near to God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. So the question comes, can we really draw near to God because God is already close to us? The answer is yes. Five or six other times, the author of the Hebrews says, you draw near because of what Jesus has already done. Amen. And again, 28 more minutes. If you need to leave, you can. <laughs> Say it, display it, pray it, all that stuff. As we draw near to God, it's because he is already near you. We are able to do that because of the blood of Jesus, and, and, and that's possible. So then the next question comes, how? Like that, that's the tangible, the human answer. We want to know how do we draw close to God? And the answer that pastors have given you for the last 2,000 years is that's easy. You pray, you read your Bible, you come to church. No amen to that? I'm going to get one without asking. Okay? 2,000 years. Thank you. For 2,000 years, pastors have been saying, you want to draw close to God, you pray, you read your Bible, come to church. Absolutely do that. Okay? Praying is conversing with God. Not just talking at, but conversing. Talking, listening, that's the way relationships grow. All right? Reading God's Word, this is the most tangible, like, like image, not image, this is the most, this is the easiest way that we can get a, a picture of what God looks like. And in terms of coming to church, guess what? Times have changed. Do we need to be in a gathered community? Yes, amen. But where two or more are gathered via text, 
God is there with them. Where two or more are gathered via live stream, God is there with them. Well, with text, heck yeah. Did I hear Madonna? Sweet, I'm coming back to you, okay? All right. Yes, where God, where two or more are gathered, God is with them. So we need to be a gathered community. That may not look like 931 on Sunday mornings, but if we're a gathered community, that's what we need to do to keep growing in the faith. So read your Bible, pray, and gather. That's what pastors have said forever. All right? But not too many pastors have, have, have admitted that, you know what, people don't only draw close to God in those three ways. Not too many pastors have, have come and said, you know what, there, there might be other ways. You know why? Because we like to see the backsides in the seats on Sunday mornings. That makes us feel good. But, but there are other ways to draw close to God. There are other ways. In 1996, the year of our Lord, Gary Thomas wrote a book. Okay? Uh, it's not the Bible, but it's a good book anyways. Okay? It was revised in 2010. It's called Sacred Pathways. Discover your soul's path to God. In this book, he lays out nine different paths, nine different ways that people love God, nine different ways that they walk with God. And over the next 20-ish minutes, I'm going to lay out those nine. You've got your, your sermon outline for those that are tangible people. You've got something to touch and fill in the blank. All right, we're going to go over those nine, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to listen to which of those nine you think you connect with most. Or maybe even which of those you think you want to explore a little bit. For our friends online, if you want this outline, you can email office at spokanefirst.church, and we'll get it to you probably on Tuesday. Uh, but I'll put the answers in it for Tuesday if you want, all right? So we are going to look at nine different ways this morning that, that people walk with God. Sound good? Mm-hmm. Amen, somebody said. That's right. First blank. First blank is the naturalists. The naturalists, these are people who walk with God outdoors, who love God outdoors. Oh, this is all over the scripture. Psalm chapter 90, 19, verse 1 and 2. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. Psalm 96, verse 11 and 12 says this. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise let the fields and the crops burst forth with joy. Let the, the trees of the forest sing for joy. This is a naturalist right there. Next one is Psalm 98, 7 to 9. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the earth and all living things join in. Let the rivers clap their hands in glee and let the songs sing out their joy, their, their, their songs, the hills, excuse me, sing out their songs of joy. The naturalist sees creation as God's cathedral. Gary Thomas writes that the naturalists have found that getting outside can literally flood the parched hearts and soften the hardest soul. Where does God often show up in the Bible? Outside, right? On a mountain with Abraham, in a desert with Hagar, at a river crossing with Jacob, at a burning bush with Moses, all the time with Jesus, but that's, you know, that's one of those special connections, right? But on a mountain, on a seaside with Jesus, Romans chapter, chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, the apostle Paul writes this. He says, they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky through everything God has made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. 
So they have no excuse for not knowing God. I've run into countless people who come to me and say, Pastor, I don't, I don't, I don't come close to God in the building. I like to be outside. Right? About four Sundays back, Steve, most of you know Steve, won't say his last name because we're on the World Wide Web and everybody's on the World Wide Web. But Steve comes to me after church and says, I have an idea, James. What's that? I'm going to plant a church. Really? Yeah, I'm going to plant a ski church. Oh. He's a he's ski patrol, if you don't know who he is. Okay, I said, well, tell me more. Well, James, it's easy. We're going to ski all morning. And then right around lunchtime, we're going to meet up at chair two. We're going to eat a little lunch. We're going to pray a little bit. And then we're going to ski all the rest of the day. Amen. Amen. I didn't even have to ask for that one. Yes. We got a naturalist in the house. Steve is a naturalist. I can't tell you how many times Tommy and Laura have not been here on a Sunday morning, but they've texted me at like 1048, right when the message is finishing and said, good, good sermon, pastor. We weren't there, but we were on a hike watching. Are you a naturalist? Does your voice raise just a little bit louder when that second verse of how great thou art was sung? When through the woods and forest glades I wander and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees, when I look down from lofty mountain grandeurs and hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze, then sings my soul. Oh. Naturalists love God. They walk with God in the outdoors. And you know what? That's good. Okay? That is good. Next blank. The sensates. The sensates. Sensates love God with their senses. They walk with God with their senses. These are the people who experience God through beauty, through art, through music, and some other specific way using their senses. These are the people who take God's word literally when he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. These are the people who, when they walk through a museum, they see the brush strokes of God. These are the people who turn out when I turn off when I preach. But when Tim has that downstroke and the cajon gets that fancy beat going, their soul comes alive. How many times did King David, who I think was a sensate, or at least had sensate tendencies, talk about singing to the Lord? Christy read one of those. Psalm 96, 1 and 2 says this, Sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Each day proclaim the good news that he saves. There are sensates throughout Scripture, okay? The prophet Ezekiel was one. If you read the first three chapters of that book, you're going to see that Ezekiel feels a wind. He sees a flashing lightning surrounded by brilliant light. He hears the sound of wings. He's asked to eat a scroll. And in chapter 3, verse 15, he's so exhausted by all that that he sits down for a week. It's because he's a sensate. It's because he's drawn close to God in those moments years ago. Oh, man, it was back in the early 2006, 2007. I was leading student ministry here, and uh, I think we had probably the most powerful youth night that I've ever had. All right, we, we, did a, uh, we were looking at the, at the Old Testament sacrificial system. I mean, every kid's like, yay. <laughs> right? Until I took a piece of hair that I had cut earlier in the day and I burned it. Human hair reeks while it's burning, yeah? And I said, that's probably what the priest's arms smelled like as they were putting the sacrifice there. And then I took, I took some, some meat out of the oven that was just, you know, at the 150 mark, so it was just warm. 
And I said, put your hands on this, because this is probably what the priests felt when they slit the throat. And in the background playing, I I had a CD with cows mooing and sheep bleeding, and then we stuck our fingers in tomato juice, and we were sprinkling it, and the most powerful youth night I think I've ever had. Coming back to Madonna, Madonna's first day here was a Good Friday experiential service, right? You remember that? Yeah, where we used all five of our senses. That was 15 years ago. Guess who's still here? That roped you into that one. Sensates love God with their senses. Is that you? Huh. Next blank. Traditionalists. Amen, anybody? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Traditionalists, they, they walk with God. They love God through ritual and symbol. Nathan, who's our online host today, grew up in a Lutheran church where every Sunday they had a, a program, not just like a single sheet that you get once every three years, okay? But every Sunday they had, they had a, a program that had call and responses and corporate songs and confessions and passages of Scripture. If you've ever been to a Catholic service, you know they're standing and sitting and kneeling, and it's all a very specific order. If you're a traditionalist, your heart finds a home in that. There's structure, there's routine. What some people see as boring repetition, you see as a safe place for your soul. Now, it's not just like liturgical church services where this happens. This is the way you live your life if you're a traditionalist. I mean, when you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh, Psalm chapter 5, verse 3. Listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning, I, I bring my requests to you, and I wait expectantly. And then when you go to bed at night, you're like, whoop, Psalm chapter 4, verse 8, in peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. You say those things in the morning and the night and in the morning and the night every day, week in, week out. Why? Because that's a safe place for your soul. There's ritual. There's there's routine. You you may do something like the Book of Common Prayer, all right, where there's like five different prayers you, you say during each day that you know people around the globe are also saying each day. This is ritual. And for many of people, this is powerful. Ezra was a, 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 a traditionalist in the Bible. He lived uh, studying the law, proclaiming fasts, offering sacrifices, mourning over sin, making confession, and publicly reading God's law. He liked the ritual. Now, more than just ritual, there's also symbol. Can you think of any symbol in churches? Oh, yes, good job. Gold star for you guys. All right. Now, more than just the cross, because, yes, that's absolutely one of the symbols. We do colors also, like during Lent, you'll see purple draped over things. And you get that from Ash Wednesday all the way up through Good, uh, good Friday and Holy Saturday. And on Sunday, the purple turns white. Why? Because it's symbolic. And you look at the symbolism in communion, right? The bread represents Jesus' body. The, blood, the, the juice represents Jesus' blood. Oh, man, God likes symbol. He likes us to be reminded of certain things by tangible things. So like Numbers chapter 15, God told Moses to tell the Israelite people this. He said, Then the Lord told Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. Throughout the generations to come, you must make tassels for the hems of your clothing and attach them with a blue cord. 
When you see the tassels, you will remember and obey all the commands of the Lord instead of following your own desires and defiling yourselves as you are prone to do. The tassels, the symbol of the tassels will help you remember that you must obey all my commands and be holy to your God, for I am the Lord, he says. Anybody got their blue tassels on today? No, but how many are wearing cross earrings or a cross necklace? I rededicated my life to Jesus as an 18-year-old freshman in college, and I thought, I I need something tangible. So I went to a jewelry store, which uh, no podunk 18-year-old from, you know, Hardin, Montana ever goes into a jewelry store. Uh, But I got a a white gold necklace because I thought, well, that'll remind me every day that God's love doesn't fail, and it never fades, and that it's pure. And I've worn that just about every day since. Symbol. Now, some of you, you, you young people are thinking to yourself, that's just a traditionalist. That's just a bunch of old fogies, right? Don't say amen. Exactly. <laughs> Don't say not, not to that one. <laughs> I say the same benediction 90% of the services throughout the year, and that's on purpose. There was a 20-something who I didn't realize was a traditionalist who came one time. She had grown up in our youth group, grown up in this church, had got married, no longer attends, but came and visited her parents one time. And it was like one of the two Sundays each year where I did not say the benediction the same way I always do. And you know who came up to me in tears? She did. She said, that's the line I looked forward to because that's where my heart feels at home. She's a traditionalist who walks with God through ritual and symbol. Are you one of those? Next blank. The ascetic. I think I'm saying that right. I'm just going to say it confidently. The ascetic loves God in solitude and simplicity. Walks with God in solitude and simplicity. John the Baptist was an ascetic. He lived out in the wilderness wearing camel hair and eating locusts. We see this in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness. And in verse 4, it says his clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. He was out by himself, solitude, living simply. Jesus had some ascetic tendencies too, because when he wanted to draw near to the Father, where would he go? (laughs) Away. It was always with the intent to come back to people, but he would go away. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. As soon as Jesus heard about the news, this was that his, uh, his cousin John had been beheaded, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. And then verse 23 of that same chapter. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was still there alone. I think Jesus liked the solitude. It's how he drew near to God. You ever heard the name John Wesley? You ever heard the name Charles Wesley? Well, those two brothers had a mom named Susanna Wesley, and they had nine other siblings. All right? Oh, wow. Eleven kids. Uh, Susanna Wesley was an ascetic. Just let that sink in, okay? <laughs> Eleven kids. Likes solitude and being alone and silence and simplicity. So, 11 kids, you don't get this. You know what she did? She pulled her apron over her head and prayed. And when the kids saw her doing that, they did not interrupt mama. 
It's like the, the stay-at-home dad who, you know, wants to have his morning quiet time, but he wakes up in the morning to a crying baby. And then, you know, all day long, same with a stay-at-home mom, all day long you're caring for this child and you're looking forward to that time at night when you put him to bed so you can dim the lights, you can put a little bit of a Gregorian chant on in the background. Oh, I'm just, I'm projecting here, okay? And, and, and you can have your time with Jesus. That's a person who likes solitude. Now, aesthetics also like simplicity, they, 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 like, uh, they like not having a bunch of stuff. This was one of the original freedoms that B.T. Roberts, who, who founded Free Methodism, he said we need to be free from, from uh, materialism. And, and this one's actually cool outside the church today, too. Simplicity. Google something like minimalism or essentialism or tiny homes. I mean, you want to start a conversation with somebody who's not a believer who lives like that? Yeah, rent a tiny apartment ride share and only wear the same t-shirt every day of the year and they're going to come up and they're going to say what gifts like well i'm loving jesus through simplicity uh-huh ascetics they love god they walk with christ through solitude and simplicity we still awake who's dreaming about going outside for a walk <laughs> two of you were brave enough to raise your hands i'm getting there the next blank activists Activists love God through confrontation. Oh, yeah, some of you guys, uh, some of you are squirming from discomfort, and some of you are, like, ready to hold up a picket sign. I'm not going to say who's who, all right? Activists love God through confrontation. Do you know anybody that will volunteer for every march or that will sit in at every sit-in or is the first one to walk towards the person with the petition outside of Walmart? That person's an activist. And they love God through confrontation. Moses was a great activist in Scripture. I mean, he started off a little bit rough when he killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. But it got better after that. Listen to what he did right after he fleed from that moment. Exodus chapter 2. When Moses arrived in Midian, he sat down beside a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters who came as usual to draw water and fill the water troughs for their father's flocks. But some other shepherds came and chased them away, so Moses, in his activistic self, jumped up and rescued the girls from the shepherds. Then he drew water for their flocks. This isn't even the, the, the activist Moses that we know, okay? We know, fill in the blank, let my people know. Yeah, see, that's, that's Moses as an activist. Elijah was an activist. Hey, prophets of Baal, <laughs> let's go. 400 of you, one of me, I'm going to show you who's really... God. Activi I'll be honest, activism is probably the lowest on, on my scale, okay? But activists change the world. We all had a day off of school and work on Monday. Why? Martin Luther King Day, because there was an activist that loved Jesus and was not afraid to love Jesus through confrontation. Don't think that activists are just the crazy ones who are wearing sandwich boards outside the Seahawks stadium. Activists write letters. Activists work for social con concern. Activists do whatever it takes to, to, to stand up for what they believe in. Uh, for those who still read the Spokesman Review, Tuesday, front page, a woman named Steffi Nobles Beans. She was a uh, professor at Whitworth when I was there back in the 1900s, the years of our Lord, and she is still there. She loves God through activism. If you keep your Spokesman Review, go back and look. You can check me on that one. Activists walk with God through confrontation. Is that you? If not, let's keep going. Number six, next blank. 
caregivers. Caregivers love God by loving others. They walk with God by loving others. Yes, our purpose as a church, any church, should be to love God, love people, make disciples. Hands down, it should be our purpose. But there are people who love God and feel closer to God when they are caring for other people. Think of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. Think of all the times Jesus like reached out and touched the sick and healed the demon-possessed. Think of Tabitha in Acts chapter 9, who when she died, her friends grieved because, I quote, she spent her life doing kind things to others and helping the poor. Think of Mordecai, who adopted Esther because she didn't have family, and he adopted her, and then when she got taken to the king's court, he would still go and check on her. That is a caregiver. Caregivers love God, living out what Paul told the Philippian believers in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. It says, don't look out for only your own interests, but take an interest in others, too. We have many caregivers in this church. As is evidenced by when I say, hey, Jerry's wife is, is on hospice. We need some meals for him. And the sign-up sheet gets filled. We've got, we've got the sisters who will visit somebody just about every Friday, and they'll take her to PT, and then they'll take her shopping, and then they'll take her to lunch. They are caregivers. We've got people who, when it snows, and I put out an email that says, hey, we've got a couple of seniors that, that need their, their sidewalk shovel. I'll get five or six texts saying, I'm in. Where can I go? We have caregivers here. Terry Mortensen, right, who most of you know uh, fell and broke her tailbone in two vertebrae. Uh, I got to meet with her this last week. She says hi, by the way, and she says if you want to reach out, you can call or text. Um, and if you're watching Terry uh, and you get a whole bunch of calls and texts, that's my bad. Um, but she did say you could do that. She realized in this last month that her daughter has some caregiving tendencies because her daughter and Bill have been taking care of her. Now, you don't just have to care for, as the picture shows, somebody who's over the age of 30. Um, caregivers love people by, you know, adopting a, a prisoner that they become a pen pal with, by fixing somebody's car, by working in a soup kitchen, by volunteering to, to babysit some, some young family who don't have babysitters and let the parents go out. They, they, uh, they care for others, and that's when they feel closest to God. So again, let me remind you what we're doing, because it's been 20 minutes since I started this at least. Uh, we are looking at different ways we draw near to God. We're looking at different ways we come near to God, because He is already near us. The next blank is this, enthusiasts. Enthusiasts. Enthusiasts love God with mystery and celebration. Now this is one in, in, the, in the free Methodist church that we don't see as often. All right? We're a little, we're a little tame. Um, a couple little chuckles in here. An enthusiast is like a skier who puts his skis downhill and just goes. Like, they love God with gusto. Every time they worship, it seems like they're on the edge of awe and excitement. God knew there would be people like this. So he instituted, like, set times to celebrate, to throw a party. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 13 and following, it says, You must observe the festival of shelters for seven days at the end of the harvest season after the grain has been threshed and the grapes have been pressed. And all the farmers are like, man, I just finished, I just finished harvest. I'm exhausted, right? And, and then God says, but for, for you enthusiasts, this is why. He says, this festival will be a happy time of celebrating with your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites, the foreigners, the orphans, the widows from your towns for seven days. You must celebrate. You're required to party. 
I serve a great God. Amen? Amen to that. This festival will be a time of great joy for all, it says. I know I've mentioned David a couple of times because I think he fits into a lot of these categories, but David also was an enthusiast. Why? <laughs> Second Samuel chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing priestly, just a priestly garment. I tried to clap during that song, and it was about all I could do. I envy David. I mean, I grew up, I grew up in a small Mennonite church on a Native American reservation. I was a family of six that made up about a quarter of the church every Sunday morning. The first time I went to a youth conference and I saw people running in the aisles, hands waving, dancing, I didn't know what was going on. (laughs) I know now they were enthusiasts. And they were worshiping the Lord. They were drawing close to God through that style of worship. Now, not just like celebration, but also mystery. Mystery and things like like Christian meditation, okay, where you're emptying your mind of all worldly concerns so that Christ can come and fill it. There's mystery in that. Or dreams. I mean, you look at Joseph. uh, He had dreams. You look at the Magi. They had dreams. You look at throughout the Old Testament, there were prophets with dreams. They drew close to God. There's something mysterious about dreams, I dream of French fries and burgers. There's nothing mysterious about that. Okay, so does your heart quicken when you think about the opportunity to go into a dark room, light a candle, and and think about God smiling on you? Or does your heart quicken when you think, finally, I get to go visit my sister in the other town because my sister goes to a charismatic church, and I've got rhythm that doesn't come out on Sunday morning at First Church? Woo! Come on! Enthusiasts love God with mystery and celebration. Are you an enthusiast? If not, perhaps closely related, you might be a contemplative. Closely related to the, to the enthusiast is the contemplative who loves God, who walks with God through adoration. If you didn't catch that, that's the next blank. Contemplatives. These are people who long to just sit with God to give him their time, their focus. They love to be near him. All right, I think of the tribe of Benjamin. When, when Moses was blessing all the tribes, Moses said this to the tribe of Benjamin in Deuteronomy 33. He said about Benjamin, he said, let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in him, for he shields him all day long, and the, and the one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. Okay, that's, that, that's the picture of a baby right? Resting on somebody's shoulder. That's the picture of of the kid who the dad picks up and throws on his shoulders, right? You should see Sam, six foot three, on my shoulders. He's just (laughs) resting between the the shoulders. And we sang a song where it says, my soul will rest in your embrace. That speaks to the contemplative. You remember the story of Martha and Mary in Luke 10? Right, I'll, I'll summarize it. Jesus and his buddies were coming into town. Martha invites them over for dinner. Martha's real busy making dinner, setting the table, getting everything all set up just right. And her sister Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. Martha gets a little bit cranky and says, Jesus, why don't you tell her to come help me? And Jesus says, I don't have to because she's a contemplative. That's my translation. Okay. He says, Martha or Mary has found the the important thing, and I'm not going to take that away from her. Listen, there was nothing wrong with what Martha was doing. Martha was caregiving. She was caregiving. But Mary was a contemplative who was sitting at the feet of Jesus. 
In that book, Sacred Pathways, Gary Thomas says, time is one of the best gifts we can give to God, and contemplatives want to give God plenty. Contemplatives love God with their their undistracted time and attention, their adoration. Is that you? Is that when you feel closest to God, where you can just sit there in his lap, on his shoulders, enjoying his company? Or perhaps you're in the last blank, the uh, intellectuals. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Merle. The intellectuals who love God with their mind. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment, he responded, y'all read it with me in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. All your mind. Intellectuals live fully into this. And I love this explanation of it. Gary Thomas writes, don't be misled by the title intellectual. It has nothing to do with IQ. Rather, it describes those believers whose hearts are most warmed to God when they understand new concepts and gain new insights and increased comprehension. If you don't engage their mind, their worship will never take off. As a kid, if you had told me that I was going to grow up to be an intellectual, I would have kicked you in the shins. I would have. But this last week, I was reminded I am an intellectual. You know why? Because the Greek perfect tense. Yes! I couldn't wait to share that with you. I, could, well, I do spend hours reading theology books and commentaries and listening to different pastors pontificate. To me, that's not boring. It's brilliant because that's how I draw closer to God. That's how I walk with God. Solomon was an intellectual. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, he, he was other things as well. Okay. But he was an intellectual. 1 Kings chapter 4, he composed some 3,000 proverbs and wrote 1,005 songs. I love that. It's not 1,006 or 1,004. It says 1,005 songs. He could speak with authority about all kinds of plants, from the great cedars of the Lebanon to the tiny hyssop that grows from the cracks in a wall. He could also speak about animals and birds and small creatures and fish. And the kings from every nation sent their ambassadors to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. He would write later on in Proverbs chapter 2, cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver, he said. Seek them like hidden treasures. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord and you will gain knowledge of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord with all his mind. Solomon walked with the Lord through his intellects. Are you an intellectual? Okay, so it's a little bit longer than 20 minutes. We've explored nine different ways that Gary Thomas, the author, says that we can love God, that we can walk with God. I'm sure there are other ways, all right? In just a moment, I want to invite you to turn to a neighbor, and if you're not sitting next to somebody, just turn to somebody who's close and tell them that one, all you got to do is say one word, okay? I'm not asking for anything else because, as Christy said, James gets to preach long today, um, one, one of these words, which of these do you most connect with or do you want to explore a little bit? I want you to do that in just a moment, uh, but not yet because I want to give you permission. I want to give you permission to seek God in one of these ways that most calls to your heart.
Now, I may regret this, but if you're a naturalist, skip church and take a hike. Send in your tithe check later in a week. (laughs) Just kidding. If you are a sensate, go to a service that has the smells and bells and just dive in. If you're a traditionalist, borrow this Book of Common Prayer and use it for a week or two. If you're an ascetic, text me on Friday and say, hey, I won't be there Sunday because I'm going to go on a silence and solitude retreat. If you're an activist, join us as we serve the homeless uh, food next week downtown. If you're, an in a, if, if you're a caregiver, oh, here's an idea. Make breakfast for somebody who can't be here in person. Eat breakfast with them with your iPad and watch the service with them. If you're an enthusiast, roll your windows down and sing with all your might those worship songs that come out of you. If you're a contemplative, find a place where you can just sit with Jesus and enjoy his presence. If you're an intellectual, please send me a text. <laughs> we, we need friends. If you're, an, if you're an intellectual, send me a text with what gets you excited and how it's drawn you closer to God. I want you to worship God, to walk with God in the way that most connects with you. All right? So be diligent. Be purposeful. We are called to walk with others, but it's as we walk. We can't miss that. We are called to walk with others, but it's as we walk. If you're not in church on a, physically on a, on a Sunday morning, if you're, if you're not online on a Sunday morning because you're out like seeking God in the way that most speaks to your heart, next time I see you, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you a high five and a hug, and I'm going to say, tell me all about it. If no one shows up next week, that's why. (laughs) I'll just be ready. Okay, now, all that being said, okay, we got nine different, they're not up on the screen, they're hopefully on the thing you wrote down. Uh, We're going to give you, we're going to give you a minute, we're going to do a countdown. Is that right, Kyle? Sweet, okay, one minute to turn to somebody close to you, just tell them which of the nine you think you 